All right, so we are well into our series B. Uh, as it says, we started back in the beginning of January. Um, and for February and a good part of March, uh, we're kind of in a sub-series. So the whole plan, the whole point of B is we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at Jesus' teachings kind of as opposed to what the way that the world has taught us, like when it comes to relationship, when it comes to attitude, when it comes to mindset. And, and we've kind of entered into this sub-series within the series. And most of what we're talking about for the next six weeks is all about relationship and how we need can have better relationship, how the way that maybe we've been taught or the way that we've approached um, marriage or friendship or all these different interactions that we have, uh, there's one way to do it and then there's Jesus' way to do it. <clears throat> and we do it Jesus' way, Jesus' way is the better way. And so, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Last week we talked about anger and how anger has no part amongst God's holy people. And I think we can all agree that if we were less angry, that would go better in every single relationship that we have. Our kids would be happier. Our spouse would be happier. Our employees would be happier. Uh, anger may be a default response to things, but it doesn't have to be the only response. And it's not always the healthiest response. And so talking about dealing with anger and how not only do we need to let go of anger, but we also need to be aware if we've stirred anger in others and that we need to be peacemakers we need to be those who go out of our way to make sure that we are fighting for unity which is an ironic thing to say um, anyways this morning we're moving into uh, one that is can feel very marriage oriented but it is very much for everybody who calls himself a Christian when it comes to the idea of relationship. We're looking at this Jesus teaching on adultery. (laughs) Good one. Um, But just as a reminder, it is the 12th of February, which means something is in two days. Anybody? Anybody want a light bulb just one? Oh, no. Yeah, Tuesday's in two days. You're right. Uh, Valentine's Day. Do you have any Valentine's Day plans, anybody? Um, And if you don't, Get cracking. Um, and don't be the couple. Okay, I'm going to, if this is you, I apologize. I'm not, I'm kind of making fun of you, but not really. Um, there is everyone, one of those couples where it's like, we don't celebrate Valentine's Day because every day is Valentine's Day in my, in my marriage. Anybody? Anyone of those people? Yeah, Tim, yeah. <laughs> the, my favorite is when you're talking to the one spouse and they say that and the other spouse is in earshot and they're like, what? <laughs> Missed the memo. Um, what are your Valentine's Day plans? And I would say that in I mean, a very big statement, and no other time in all of history is Valentine's Day probably the most important for us to be practicing, because marriage is so under attack these days. It has been our marriage is being taught that it can be thrown away. It is secondary. If you're not happy, you just quit it and get a new spouse. Um, the very definition of who can be married is under attack. Um, and there's so many things that are attacking the already married in our society. Pornography, is, viewership is through the roof, and nothing good comes from pornography. Adultery is through the roof. Divorce rates are through the roof. Marriage is under attack. And so when we get to these days in the year where we're supposed to pause and actually celebrate 
the good thing that God has given you. And your marriage is a good thing. We should not just disregard it as, oh, it's just a big commercial thing. No, it's not. It's an opportunity for you to celebrate your spouse. It's an opportunity for you to celebrate your marriage. It's an opportunity for you to take some time and really solidify that commitment that you made either not so long ago or very long time ago. Do not be quick to disregard Valentine's Day. Do not just push it off to the side and say, oh, it's not that important. It is important because your marriage is important and your marriage is worth the investment. So again, I ask, what are your Valentine's Day plans? And if you don't have any, get cracking because your spouse is worth it. With all that said, now we're going to dive into adultery. <laughs> uh, good segue. Um, so we are in Matthew 5, starting in verse 27. Here we go. <coughs> you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Um, it sounds like Jesus is hammering on the guys here, but I want to make a comment on that in a little bit. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Extreme uh, comments that Jesus is making. Uh, I want to unpack just a few things just so we get a little bit of context um, the word lust actually means to desire or yearn for. We have turned lust into this, um, this, thing, this sexual thing by nature. It, it's not. The original Greek actually would have unpacked that as to desire or to yearn for. Um, to, it almost comes more in alignment with the idea of coveting. To, so to, to yearn for another woman, to, to desire another woman, or to desire another man. Um, is what Jesus is talking about. So, um, and that could apply to a whole host of things. So lust, I want you to keep that in mind as you read through and you see this word pop up. It's not just about emotion. It's not just a sexual thing. It's actually about to desire or to yearn for. <clears throat> uh, for the Jewish people, adultery would have taught, been taught in light of theft, not purity. So I want you to see that. It, for the Jewish people, they would have been taught that adultery was more about stealing your neighbor's wife than it was actually about an, an idea of upholding the value of purity. So Jesus saying this, saying that to just look at a w woman wrong, uh, would have just turned lots of his followers on their head like, wait, that's not how they've taught it. But again, one of the things that we've been unpacking and we will continue to unpack is that Jesus is shedding a better light on this law. He's shedding a better light on this commandment that so often what the Jewish leaders and even I would say today what some pastors are prone to do is to water down the word of God and to make it attainable, to make it easier to approach. It's not, that's not the point. We're supposed to drive the standard up because God has a high standard for us. And so we should be intimidated when it talks about um, purity and we're supposed to value purity above all else. Theft of a wife, well, I didn't steal anyone's wife, I'm good. No, that's, that's lowering the bar too much. So this would have been, like I said, this would have been a huge shock for many of Jesus' listeners to hear it put in light of 
a, a thing of your heart, not just a physical thing. <coughs> and this is for just clarity. Um, when Jesus says good hand, he's not talking about your hand. Okay, that's a euphemism for something else, gentlemen. Okay, not going to park on that for too long, but just connect that dot, please. He's not talking about your throwing hand when he's talking about your good hand. He's talking about, anyways. Um, and the reason we know that he's not, he, this, is, a, this is a Jewish euphemism for back then, uh, but in the past, men have read this, understood what Jesus was actually alluding to, and actually cut something off. To, as a response, because Jesus said, cut it off. <laughs> and every guy was like, oh, okay, I feel super uncomfortable all of a sudden. Um, anyways, we'll keep moving on that. Um, so there's more going on than what BCI. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take the section and I want to break it up into two parts. I want to first start off by defining what Jesus is talking about when he talks about adultery. So defining the sin, and then we're going to look at Jesus' response. Is Jesus actually asking us to gouge out our eyes and cut off our hands and cut off other things? Or is he making, is he trying to make a point? And um, he's probably trying to make a point, but I want to suggest that maybe the point he's trying to make is a little bit stronger than we've maybe interpreted it in the past. So <coughs> we're going to start off by defining um, the sin. And as usual, so many things that in our English translation, if we're not looking into the Greek, if we're not looking into what is actually being said, we can so often miss the value of what Jesus is trying to say. Um, and I want you to, I, before we get too much into adultery, because it's so typically a marriage-based sin, I want to throw it out to all of our single people and those that are not married yet, whether in-house or online. Um, adultery still applies to you. Yeah, adultery is primarily about married people cheating on their spouses. Yes, I, I, I want to acknowledge that. But if you are single, if you are unmarried, and, G and the New Testament is very hard and very explicit in its teaching about what it calls sexual immorality, the, the biblical standard of sex is within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman, to clarify, not the marriage outside of that does not work. Um, anything outside of that is considered sexual immorality. You may not be married yet, but God sees the beginning from the end. God knows everything, sees all, knows all. That's why we can read Revelation and be confident that the way God has played out, written out Revelation is going to happen exactly the way that he's explained it, because he sees it all. And even though you may not be married now, in God's eyes, you are married because he knows if and when you're going to meet the person of your dreams and marriage is going to happen. So anything that happens prior to the moment of you getting married is adultery. Anything. And even Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7 when he's talking about how even if, for those that have been called to singleness, and, if, and there are some, there are some, some are called to be married, and some are called to be single. But even if you're called to single, then your commitment is to God and to God alone. That is your primary relationship. And not in the whole, like, I'm married to Jesus. No, not that kind of way. But your commitment is to honor him above all else. Paul talks about how if you're married, your, your intentions are split because you want to honor your spouse and love your spouse. 
and you want to honor God, and, 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 and they're, they're not often, but there can be friction there. And Paul said it would be better if you were single so that you can completely commit all of your attention, all of your energy, and all your talents on God and God alone. So adultery is not just a married problem. It's everything. And the way that promiscuity is through the roof these days, just because you're single doesn't mean you get to fool around. Just because you're single doesn't mean you get to watch pornography. Doesn't None of that applies. You are still committed to someone, whether it's God or to somebody down the road. You are committed. So anything outside of marriage, not acceptable. <coughs> The other thing I want to, oh, I'm going to go back to this other. But Jesus says, when, if anyone even looks at a woman lustfully or with lust, has committed adultery with her in her heart. It sounds like Jesus is hammering on the guys. But what we're missing in the English translation is the fact that what an equally acceptable translation of this would be to read that if a man looks at, her, looks at a woman that causes her to lust. Okay, so again, I'm going to pick on the married people a little bit. You, we know this, right? Guys, ladies, you know, we, we have that look that we send to our spouses, right? And we're trying to send a message, right? When I was doing this, I, I had to make sure the look still worked. That's all I'm going to say. Michelle told me to stop it. Anyways, um, and don't practice now. I'll lose the guys, okay? I don't need that. I need the guys to focus right now. But you all know, there's the look. That look, what Jesus is saying is that look stays within your marriage. That look, that look that is not just to look longingly and with desire at somebody, but to look at them in such a way that it causes feelings within them to come back at you. That stays within marriage even. <clears throat> Anyways, now you're all just going to be, now, see, I, now we're all just looking, thinking about the look. Anyways, you all know what I'm talking about. The smolder. The smolder. Yes, the smolder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The other thing to keep in mind, though, is that we talk about adultery, we talk about it being about it with another man or another woman, but there's a lot of things that compete for our attention in our heart. We can commit adultery if, if, lust, if lust is the true problem, and if it is the yearning and desiring that's really the problem, we can yearn and desire for other things that aren't physical. We can yearn and desire to be successful at our jobs. We can yearn and desire to put all of our effort into our hobbies, into our passions. We can, there's a lot of things. It doesn't necessarily have to be a person that is competing for your heart and competing to take that throne away from your spouse. And maybe the bigger question is, maybe you're like, oh, I've never looked at them. I've never looked at somebody else that way. I, I'm, my eyes are for my, my spouse and my spouse alone. But what are the other things that are competing? What are the other things that are getting in the way? Your time is finite. You only have so much of it. And what is robbing your time? We talk about when it comes to idols. Where are you putting your money? Where are you putting your time? And where are you putting your efforts? When it comes to us as believers, number one is God. Number two is our spouse. That order. Nothing else. And 
But the problem is our world's full of things that are trying to break into the top two. And not that having hobbies is bad. You need hobbies. You need to chill out. We live in a society where busy is the new norm. Busy is the only acceptable standard. No, you don't need to be busy. You need to relax. Hobbies are good. But when hobbies take away from the health of your marriage, when hobbies take away from the health of, take away time, take away effort, you're too tired to actually work on your, that's a problem. So this is a sin. There's so many things competing for our heart. There's that yearning and desiring for something that is not God and not our spouse. That is not acceptable. You can yearn for those things, but only after the first two have been met. So the second part is the response. Jesus starts talking about cutting things off. Is that really the answer? If we are struggling with lust, is gouging out our eyes really the answer? I was reading a a commentator, and he said that he had a really good friend, strong Christian person who loved Jesus, and he was blind. Guess what his number one sin was? His biggest struggle was lust. Well, according to what Jesus just said, that shouldn't be the problem. She said, if your eye causes you to lust, and that's God has given you an imagination, and it's a matter of what are you feeding your imagination with? What are you consuming with your eyes? It's going to cause that imagination to wander. It's going to cause your mind to wander. That's why Jesus is saying that. But cutting out your eyes isn't the problem. Cutting off your hand isn't the problem. Cutting, it's, it's not the solution because it doesn't deal with what is really at stake, and what's really at stake is your heart. And the only one who can truly help your heart is Christ and Christ alone. And all throughout the New Testament, it talks about guarding our heart. It talks about how we need to minimize, not just minimize the sin, but minimize the temptation. James talks about it this way. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to to death. Temptation leads to sin and sin leads to death. Jesus is trying to draw this out for us in the fact that sin is a life and death issue. In the same way that we would be aggressive in carving out cancer. Right? If we leave cancer alone, it does horrible things to our bodies. So we are aggressive in in removing it. We are aggressive if we... Any number of things... Any number of things that come into our body, we aggressively remove it if it has the potential to kill us. And what Jesus is saying is that sin has the same effect. Sin will kill you. So are you going to be aggressive and decisive in taking care of it? Are we aggressive in understanding what is causing that temptation? What is causing our hearts to wander. <coughs> Paul will often, the Apostle Paul will often write in his letters that we should flee from even a hint of immorality. Even a hint of it. That we shouldn't even come close to tolerating it in any way, shape, or fashion. And so the question The question I have is, how can you minimize the temptation to lust? How can you minimize this temptation for your heart to wander? 
And I realize that in a lot of ways, there's things that are out of our control. You can't control the commercials that come on. You can't control when you're scrolling through Facebook, the ads that pop up. You can't control what YouTube's going to do. You can't, there's a lot of things that are beyond your control, but there's a lot of things that are within your control that you can minimize this influence, in, minimize what's coming in. Jesus is calling his people in the same way he's calling for an aggressive response to anger. Right? If you're worshiping and you recognize that your somebody, your brother, a fellow believer is angry with you, drop everything and go make it right. Well, in the same way, if you recognize that you have lusting, yearning, desiring in your heart, then be aggressive in removing whatever is causing that in you. Last year we did with the guy, we did something with some of the guys, something called Exodus 90. And for 90 days, we didn't watch TV. We didn't use our phone unless it was for work. We didn't listen to music. We didn't play video games. We didn't take, we didn't do anything for 90 days. It's tough. Because everybody, you know, your wives and your kids didn't have to participate. So they're still watching TV. You're hiding in the kitchen, like reading your book or doing something. But for 90 days, and for 90 days, no temptation, nothing, no, didn't see nothing, didn't, nothing. It was fantastic. You know what happened at the end of the 90 days? All, all of us, right back to it. But we were more aware, we're more aware of what we're using our phone for, we're more aware of what we're watching, we're more aware. And, and, and it's not that we need to completely and permanently remove the things that can cause the temptation, but maybe we need to take some time away from it so that we can build some self-control. We can, that whole, like, we just need experience so we can overcome it. Yeah. God has called his people to purity. God has called his people to be, to righteousness and not just baseline whatever, just be better than somebody righteousness, but the kind of righteousness that's found in God and God alone. And the one thing that Jesus is trying to do as he's unpacking what lust is, unpacking what anger is, is the fact that all of us at some point should read that and be like, oh no. I maybe haven't killed anybody, but I've been angry with people. I maybe haven't actually committed adultery, but eh, my eyes have wandered in the past. My heart has wandered in the past. The reality is, is that nobody is exempt from this. And what Jesus is trying to draw out is on our own, we are, we're not worthy. Paul, David talks about how there's no one righteous, not even one. And even our best acts are just filthy rags before our mighty God. And the biggest thing that God is, Jesus is trying to draw out of his people and trying to draw out of us now is the fact that we are not righteous because of anything we've done. We're righteous because of what he has done. And because of that righteousness that he has planted in us, we should be different. We should tolerate sin less. We should tolerate temptation less. We should be, should be different. So my B statement for you this morning is be faithful. And not just be faithful in your actions. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to God in the things that you do and the things that you watch and the things that you're listening to. The things you talk about. Um, 
avoid anything that would stir any kind of desire within you that is contrary to what God has placed in you. You are called to be righteous. And because God has created you new and God has made you righteous, you should act differently. You should talk differently. You should think differently. You should watch different things. Because what God has done in you is precious and it is worth the time and the effort to guard, protect, and allow it to grow to overflowing. I'm going to get the team to come on up. I invite everyone to just stay seated for just a moment. I'm going to invite you all to bow your heads. Um, I said it last week and I'll say it again. The reason that we close with a song isn't because it's just a nice thing to do to kind of send us off on a high note. We actually just end with music because music has the ability to open our ears, open our hearts to what God is trying to say to us. It's to create an opportunity for response. And so as the team is playing, I want you to open your eye, open your ears, not open your eyes, keep your eyes closed. Open your ears, open your hearts to what God may be saying to you in this realm. Maybe some of you aren't struggling with it, but I think some of them, maybe some of you are. Maybe there are things in your life that are competing for your time and your energy and your focus and robbing it from time with your spouse. Or maybe there's something in your life that you've allowed temptation to just fester and it hasn't led to anything yet, but I guarantee you, if you let it stay for too long, something's going to happen. Something's going to come of it, because temptation leads to sin. And so I invite the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of you, to just shine light in your life about things that maybe he wants to work on. And maybe you know right now that there's something in your life that needs to come out, or there's just you just need to make more time for your spouse and as you respond maybe you want to just sit quietly as the band plays maybe you want to stand and sing and praise God because he is good and he's given you an amazing marriage and you just want to praise him for that gift that that is whatever the response is I leave it to you but don't rush and don't just fall into the habit of singing because that's what we've always done But take your time, get quiet with God, and allow God to do what only God can do. Holy Spirit, I invite you to speak to every one of us. Shine a light where it needs to be shone, whether it's just to shine on our spouse that we would just praise you for the gift that he or she is. Or God, whether it's something that's competing and tempting us away, Father, may we be aggressive. May we we cut it off. So that it does not have an opportunity to take root and rob from us the good things you've given us. Jesus, we love you. Give you all our praise and thanks in your precious name. Amen.